Exodus chapter 14, verse 1. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, 2. Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn back and encamp before Piheroth, between Migdol and the sea, before Belzephon, over against it shall ye encamp by the sea. God told them exactly where to camp. It's been discovered that where the Israelites camped on one side of the sea and where they exited the Red Sea on the other side, that's where the land is actually flatter and a little bit higher so that it would be a really easy place to cross. To the south of it and to the north of it is not a flat area to walk on. They would have had to go into a deep valley. 3. And Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land. The wilderness hath shut them in. God knows this is all part of his plan. He wants Pharaoh to think that they're pretty much lost because they've gone to such a weird part, but he's sending them there on purpose because it's going to be a more comfortable crossing for the children and the animals. 4. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he shall follow after them. And I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. God is saying that I'm going to cause Pharaoh to actually come and chase after you, to leave Egypt and come and chase after you. And this is going to glorify me even more than simply you leaving Egypt. 5. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people were fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned towards the people. And they said, What is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? The king and his courtiers and his officers are all saying, Oh, we just lost our bread and butter. These were our slaves that did everything for us, and now we don't have slaves anymore. 6. And he made ready his chariots and took his people with him. 7. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over all of them. 600 chariots of Egypt. In this time period, the Egyptian chariot wills had either 6 spokes or four spokes and it's depicted in the pictures of the time and there have been some pieces of chariot wheel found in the red sea in the crossing where this would have been and they're covered with coral now but it, they seem to show that they have either six or four spokes eight and the lord hardened the heart of pharaoh king of egypt and he pursued after the children of israel for the children of israel went out with a high hand Pharaoh is trying to get some face back. He's trying to look tough and powerful by hunting them down. 9. And the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamping by the sea beside Pi-Haroth in front of Zephon. The whole army of Pharaoh, and this includes 600 chariots, but it also includes men on horses beside the chariots, and it might include walking men too, I don't know. 10. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, Pharaoh's son has already died, and now Pharaoh himself is about to die. So whatever Pharaoh this was, and it is kind of disputed which one it is, but whatever Pharaoh it was, not only did his son die, but he died as well. 11. And they said unto Pharaoh, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us, to bring us forth out of Egypt? And there is another example of how 
Jews and Hebrews and Israelites speaking questions. They make statements in the form of questions. It's an accusation against Moses, but they form it as a question. And God in the Bible also speaks in questions. So it's kind of interesting how God gave his people a way of communicating that's the way he communicates. Rhetorical questions make you think harder. That's the whole point of rhetorical questions. A lot of the things said in the Bible are actually rhetorical questions, which means the answer is obvious, but you're saying it to make a point. So they're saying, did you bring us out here just to kill us? 12. Is not this the word that we spoke unto thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it is better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. So now they're saying, We told you so. You said you're going to take us out. We let you take us out, and now we're going to die out here in the desert, and we would have rather died in Egypt, which makes no logical sense whatsoever, because wherever you die, it's not going to be nice. What they're saying is dumb. 13. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For whereas ye have seen the Egyptians today, ye shall see them again no more forever. Moses has faith, and he believes that God is going to annihilate them. And this is true. God is going to annihilate this whole army. In your life and in my life, there are times when it seems like there's no hope and the whole world is crashing in on us, and nothing good could possibly come out of what we're going through. So we have to think the way Moses did, and realize we need to stand and watch his salvation, because he can save us in any circumstance. There's been times where he saved me when I didn't even know it was him because of a lack of faith, but later on I realized that it was God all along. It's really good to have faith all the time. We honor God that way. We nurture our relationship with him, and ultimately, we have a lot more happiness, peace, and joy. In recent years, there's been a couple of times where I had like virtually no money, but by his strong hand, I was able to pay all my bills and eat and have enough gas to go to work and do everything I needed to do until he gave me a better job. Thankfully, in both of those cases, I trusted him completely and I never worried about it. I just knew that he was going to provide. But there are times in my past when I faced bad circumstances and I didn't trust him and it just dragged it out longer because I tried to make decisions to help myself and all I was doing was making things worse. But in recent years, when I had bad circumstances and I trusted him, I let him guide and direct, and things were so much better. 14. The Lord will fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. So he's saying, you need to be quiet and just let the Lord fight for you. And that's good advice for all of us. 15. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Moses is telling the people, have some faith. And God is telling Moses, you have some faith too. He's saying, don't even ask me for help. I'm coming to help you. You don't need to ask. Just move forward. Keep walking. 16. And lift up thy rod and stretch out thy hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go into the midst of the sea on dry ground. Moses was praying to God saying, where are we going to go? And God is saying, you're going to go forward. You're going to divide that sea. That sea is not a barrier for you. It's really God's power that divided the sea, not Moses. But God was telling Moses to apply his faith. Don't see a problem as something that you can't get through. See it as just a worldly circumstance. It has no power over you. So like when I didn't have the good jobs and I was just working minimum wage jobs, I believed 
that all my needs were going to be met anyway, and that it didn't matter what I was earning. And that turned out to be true. I still had everything I needed. All my bills were paid. 16. And lift thou up thy rod, and stretch out thy hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go into the midst of the sea on dry ground. 17. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall go in after them, and I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. God is going to make Pharaoh arrogant so that Pharaoh thinks that he can cross too, when Pharaoh should have the fear of God in him and not want to cross. Pharaoh is going to go ahead and try to cross when he sees the Hebrews crossing. 18. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. 19. And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel removed and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud removed from before them and stood behind them. God who is in the pillar, and this is daytime because it's a cloud. If it were night, it would be the fire pillar. So we know it's daytime. God is bringing up the rear. Isn't this awesome? God is saying, since Pharaoh is on your tail, I'm going to go to the rear where Pharaoh is, and I'm going to separate you and Pharaoh, and I'm going to be a, a protective barrier between you and Pharaoh. And, and there is an angel there. Now remember, Abraham said that he had an angel that led him, and that doesn't mean that he saw the angel or talked to the angel. But there was an angel assigned to Abraham, and then Jacob said that he had an angel assigned to him. It doesn't mean that they talked to the angel, which we're not supposed to be talking to angels. We're not supposed to engage in angel worship. People today who claim that they talk to their angel are talking to what the Bible calls familiar spirits. It's when a demon pretends to be a dead person or an angel or whatever and give you advice. 20. And it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel, and there was the cloud and the darkness here, yet gave it light by night there, and the one came not near the other all the night. All of this journeying took more than a day. It also happened at night. The pillar moved behind the millions of people in the daytime and separated Pharaoh and the Hebrews. But at nighttime, it would turn into a pillar of fire and still separate them. So now even Pharaoh's army is seeing this pillar. By day, they see it as smoke. And by night, they see it as fire. And they know that it's God. And they don't want to come anywhere near it. But they're still following the Hebrews. 21. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all the night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. A wind coming from the east made the sea divide along this ridge area where it's a flatter area where they can actually walk. 22. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. So they had a big, huge wall of water, like being in an aquarium, but there's no glass. 23. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Pharaoh arrogantly thinks that God can't make choices, that God can't decide who he's going to save. And so Pharaoh thinks, well, if these people can walk through and survive, then my people can too. But it isn't up to Pharaoh, it's up to God. That's another analogy for salvation, because a lot of people think that because the repentant sinner get saved, that the unrepentant sinner can follow behind them and get saved too. And it doesn't work that way. Everybody must repent. Everybody must repent. And so what you see in church is you see repentant sinners who are now picking up their cross and following Jesus mixed in, sitting right next to unrepentant sinners who are still living in sin 
actively practicing sin, and they think that since the person next to them is saved, they must be saved too. It doesn't work that way. We don't get saved by proximity. Pharaoh thought that because he was close to the Hebrews, he could pass through the sea. And a lot of people who go to church today think that because they go to church with true saints, that they're going to go up to heaven with the saints as well. Won't happen. 24. And it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked forth upon the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of cloud and discomfited the host of the Egyptians. Now the Lord is actually making the Egyptians really afraid. 25. And he took off their chariot wheels and made them to drive heavily, so that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. All the chariots are in the sea, but their wheels are coming off, and the Egyptians know that God is doing it, and they're afraid of that pillar in front of them. They're actually begging Pharaoh to let them go back home, but he doesn't listen. 26. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thy hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. 27. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its strength when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. It looks like it took a little bit of time for all of the water to recede to go back in place where it's supposed to be, which means Moses had to stretch out his hand for a while. So he had to maintain his faith as God worked and brought the water back. He did tell Moses to strike the water to make it part and then to stretch out your hand to make the water go back. But that doesn't mean that you and I are supposed to pretend that we're magicians to get miracles from God. There's a lot of people today that are in healing and deliverance ministries that basically do magician things. They talk a certain way, they make certain statements, they use their hands in a certain way or whatever, thinking that that's going to cause the miracle. And it isn't what we do that causes the miracle. It's what God does that causes the miracle. But God gave Moses these specific instructions to aid Moses' faith, not because stretching his hand out did anything. It didn't. It was God's power that caused the sea waters to move back and forth. It wasn't Moses' hand, but by Moses stretching out his hand, he was exercising his faith now the Egyptians are actually drowning in the water. 28. And the waters removed and covered the chariots and the horsemen, even all the host of Pharaoh that went in after them into the sea. There remained not so much as one of them. Every single soldier plus Pharaoh was dead. 29. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Millions of people are going to take a while to cross, plus all the cattle. They have more cattle than they do people. So it took a long time to cross, and it's already been more than a day of crossing, because they started in the day and, and then it went to night. While the children of Israel the end of their camp was still crossing and on dry land. The Egyptians were already getting pummeled with water and already drowning behind them. Not only did God make the water go back, but he made it go back on the west side of the sea first. Pretty awesome. On the east side of the sea, the children of Israel were still exiting. 30. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. On the east side, where they exited, the dead bodies started floating up to the shore. 31. And Israel saw the great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And that concludes Exodus chapter 14.